The Greatest Manhunt in History concludes. We are the SpyFi Guys, and this is Zero Dark Thirty, Part 2. Hello and welcome back to the SpyFi Guys, where we cover spy fact, spy fiction, and everything in between. I'm Zach. And I'm Christian. And today we are finishing the Catherine Bigelow-directed Jessica Chastain starring... Osama bin Laden killing movie Zero Dark Thirty. Well, yeah. Do you want to just go, go right into it? Let's read the IMDb summary really fast. A chronicle of the decade-long hunt for al-Qaeda terrorist leader Osama bin Laden after the September 2001 attacks and his death at the hands of the Navy SEALs Team 6 in May 2011. So if you haven't listened to the first part or our Microdot episode, The Triple Agent, we recommend you do so. As Christian said, we are going to jump right back in, leaving off with the scene where Maya argues with the ground leader. Yeah, so our next scene uh, is there's a guy who enters a phone center, which is not really a thing here, but it seems to be a thing over mm-hmm. there. You can go in and make phone calls, pro- yeah. presumably overseas or wherever. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of like an internet cafe, but for phones. Ah, that makes sense, yeah. And he goes out, and the guy from the ground branch is there, too. You know, they shake their head, they don't see the guy. Mm-hmm. And then we go to a newscast about an attempted bombing in Times Square on May 1st, 2010. Do you remember this? Oh, yeah. I, I remember don't. it. I remember all of this stuff. Mm. But that's because I pay attention to it. Yeah, it was the failed Times Square bombing where the guy's truck started, like, leaking smoke. And everyone was like, what? And then the police huh. went over and looked at it. And I think it was sort of like the underwear bomber and the shoe bomber. It was huh. a failed bomb. Huh. Yeah. Bomb that wow. didn't go off as it was supposed to. Surprised I don't remember this, actually. But so while this is going on, Maya confronts Bradley, who is the section chief over there, mm-hmm. about putting more surveillance on their co- their caller. What was yeah, his but- name? Abu Ahmed? Ahmed? Yeah, Abu yeah. Ahmed al-Kuwaiti. I generally just think of him as the Kuwaiti because yeah. that's what the book that uh, I will be referencing later, that's how they refer to him. And then pretty much from now on, they don't refer to him by name. They just call him the caller. Yes, or the courier is another or the courier, one. yeah. So, and Bradley's saying that he doesn't care about the courier or Bin Laden. All he cares about is the next attack. Yes. And Bradley like thinks that Bin Laden's off the board. No one's heard from him in however long. And Maya accuses him of just being there to check a box on his resume saying, hey, we got a real terrorist. Yeah, she likes to get kind of personal with these people who she disagrees with. Also, speaking of the courier really fast, have you played Fallout New Vegas? I have not, no. So in all the Fallout games, the characters don't have names because you make up your own name. But the one in New Vegas is called the courier. Uh, So that's what you think of it. Oh, yeah. So Maya gives Bradley an ultimatum saying that either you're going to give me what I need or you can send me back to D.C. and you can tell them why you sent me back to D.C. Yeah, so there's a lot of drama around that. Mm-hmm. But eventually they do get the courier's phone. Yeah, well, not even not just the phone. So Maya's off in a bar, you know, drinking by herself and Jack comes by. Jack is her friend who works with her. Mm-hmm. It says that the courier got a cell phone. So now he doesn't go into the internet cafes. or Phone cafe, something phone like cafe, that. Yeah. <laughs> um, right, he has a cell phone and a cell phone can be tracked. Well, not just tracked. They've cloned, seemingly they cloned it so that anytime that his, that phone rings, this other cell phone they have will ring. Mm-hmm. They do a briefing so they think that he might live in Ra- Rawalpindi and they're canvassing the neighborhood. And so they have all these scenes of this surve- the ground surveillance team trying to track down when they get a call. 
you know, like driving around trying to find him, which seems like a very stressful, scary job. Yeah. And so at one point, like they get stopped, they're stopped because there's people in, on bikes in front of them take their guns out and they get blocked in. One of them gets, goes out to talk to them and they're told that, you know, white faces don't belong here. But then the bikes mm-hmm. get out of the way. They mm-hmm. do some checking Peshawar and they get stuck in traffic back at base. I think it's Jack or someone else is showing Maya just the tracking of where he's been. And apparently this guy is like completely erratic. There's no pattern to what they're doing. So there's no way they can really guess where he's going to be next. That's true. That's if they wanted to capture him and interrogate him. But maybe they don't need to know where he's going next. They just need to find where he goes. Maybe. Yeah. The ground team tracking the signal. They're in a car. They have basically some, some sort of signal tracker that says, you know, how tells them how close they are to him, the higher the signal gets. Yes, it's like but, the motion sensor from Alien. <laughs> but, 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 but. They figure out that the caller is driving around in a circle, so they park and hope he comes back around. And mm-hmm. then as and they see him in a white car, they get some pictures of him. Yeah, they discover he's in a white SUV, which apparently they tell us later is really good because SUVs are not very common in Pakistan. If, they, if he'd been in some sort of sedan, they'd be screwed. Right. So Maya goes to Bradley's successor, whose name is Tim, and gets him to agree to personnel requests that she makes about putting, I think, I forget how many people along a line, basically. Right. He says, I learned from my predecessor that my life will be easier if I just do what you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I, I, I like that line. Yeah. So they think that he lives somewhere along the highway, either near Abbottabad or near Kashmir. And like, and so, that, like you said, SUVs are rare in Pakistan. And so they're trying to canvas those neighborhoods and try to figure out where, you know, look, see. And so they put, you know, a person every however many, I don't know how, how often they put people, but they put a pe- bunch of people on the highway just to see if they see the SUV. Do you think they'd have some kind of drone tracking? I mean, they use it later, right? So I understand why they need to have people physically standing on the highway in an exposed position for that. I, I mean, I, I, think I mean, that. With, with, a, with a drone, I don't think they can hover necessarily so it's not it's, mm, i think they can <laughs> i don't i don't know much about how the drones work but mm-hmm. also if it's hovering just there it's a little obvious well the the uavs the ones that fly two miles in the air or whatever yeah. i guess maybe you can be able to see them i really don't know but i feel like yeah. they use it later to survey the compound so whatever yeah well at that point i think that's uh, there's a difference between surveying one comp- compound getting photos and going over like a whole highway i think it's a Difference. Yeah, like it's like a cartoon where it's like it follows the car down the street. <laughs> Maybe they catch on. Yeah, so I, th- I think at that point, humans, humant is is less suspicious, especially mm-hmm. if it's a whole highway. We don't know how big or long the highway is, so yeah, right. So is this the part where Maya gets attacked at her house? Yeah, I was about to get to that. So Maya is leaving her house, which has like an armed guard and everything, in her car. Mm-hmm. And, and she pulls like she's not even all the way pulled out of the gate and some men shoot at her car they were clearly lying in wait for her to come out yeah not like a random attack this is definitely planned right and yet it still wasn't planned that well <laughs> no. and they were basically like shoot at her and hope for the best yeah but it wasn't even her. like uh it wasn't even like a attacking from the side it was attacking from straight on but maybe the idea was more to scare her than to yeah. actually kill her and thankfully, she had bulletproof glass in her car. Mm-hmm. So, but I thought it was interesting that the guard was an Afghani. Hmm. You have to have a lot of trust, especially. Consi- I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with that. There's been all kinds of insider attacks on U.S. soldiers. Right. 
So here's the thing about this part. And I realized I forgot to mention why I liked the suicide bomber scene in part one. Yeah. So I apologize for that. I've had to say it. But this part and the, the suicide bombing part are the only parts of the movie where if you don't read the news, you don't know what's about to happen. Huh. Good point. So yeah. it's like exciting. Like the whole Bin Laden raid later, you know what's going to happen. Well, maybe you don't know all the details, though. So. Yeah, but you know the ultimate result. But like with the, the suicide bomber, it's like, I don't know. Well, also, and I was going to bring this up at the time of the rape, but maybe I'll do it now. It's like Titanic. Okay? <laughs> okay. It's like the All movie right. Titanic. So I'm sure you've heard the joke, oh, I went to see Titanic. Oh, what happened? Did the boat sink? Ha, 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 right? Because mm-hmm. that's what everybody knows. So you know the result. You know that Osama bin Laden does die. But the question is how? And how many people get killed along the way? And right. we've already seen some get killed along the way. So that's where the interesting part comes in. All right. So Nick, Maya talking with Tim and saying basically, you know, well, she's trying to excuse it as, a, you know, any any American is a target here. Is like, yeah, but th- you're known and you're on their list. And once you get on their list, you can, you're ne- can never get off of it. So I guess the idea is she's getting pulled out of yeah. Pakistan because the next scene is she's back in the U.S. at Predator Bay at headquarters. Yeah. So she was pulled back. Tim says, you know, we'll, ke- we'll keep up with surveillance. And we'll, you know, keep you in the loop. So next we see the white SUV and we, mm-hmm. we follow it and we see one of the ground team, the one the same guy. I think he's Hakeem. Okay. He's on the ground there. He's one of the people stationed out there. And so he sees the van or the SUV and sees it entering in the compound. This is where we get our first view of that compound. Okay. Yeah. Right. So they track it to the compound and, but th- this is where Mark Duplass provides some exposition to Maya at headquarters, right? Leon Panetta shows up and they don't tell you his yeah. name, but he immediately looks like Leon Panetta. Yeah, so. I was wondering about that. So yeah, so well, yeah. they go into that meeting with Leon Panetta. Maya is told she can't sit at the big table. She has to sit on one of the chairs around the edge. Mm-hmm. But before the meeting, they have a discussion. All right, Bin Laden's there. Is a Pak military, Pakistani military with him? Or, and then Maya says, the question's not if they're protecting him, it's if he'd allow himself to be protected by them. Which I thought was interesting because apparently because he's attacked you know Pakistani targets before. Yeah, well, it's the sort of trade off of secrecy versus protection. It's like speed versus armor. Mm-hmm. You know, all of these tra- trade offs in terms of defense. Because I think they correctly realize that if he's discovered, then it won't really matter how many walls he has or guards he has. Yeah, but yeah. So Leon Panetta comes in, and they say they yeah they talk about the fortress or the compound. They say it's a fortress. There's no way to put a camera in anywhere. And this was the movie I wanted to watch, by the way. <laughs> this was what I wanted to see, was all of these different ways they were trying to get information about it. Yeah. And Apparently couldn't do it. The Pakistani Military Academy, which is like their West Point, is, mm-hmm. you know, someone says it's about a mile away, and Mike speaks up and says it's eight, more like eight-tenths of a mile. Panetta asks who she is, and she's like... She I'm says, I'm the motherfucker who found this place. Yeah. Which I'm like, why do you have to escalate to that? Right, but because it's just showing how intense she is, really. Well, it would be one thing if all of the others were do were saying uh, like talking like like bros like or whatever. If they if they had been like swearing and yeah. you know talking a very like serious meeting and mm-hmm. then I could kind of see it. Yeah, back in her cubicle at at HQ, Maya you know leaves her cubicle. She grabs a marker and she writes twenty one on George's window. George being Mark Strong with hair. Right. And she says, it's been 21 days since we found the compound and nothing's happened, which isn't true. 
They weren't trying all these different ways of getting info about it, but they were taking the pictures. So it's not like nothing was happening. It's just not, she wants action. The difference is, okay, he wants, the you know, director says he wants more in the, at the end of the week, but it's been 21 days and nothing. Oh, okay. Well, nothing that she can tell, I think. She, and so we have her like updating the, you know, the marker calendar every, uh, every so often it gets to like 50 days or however long. And then finally, Mai gets a call from Steve, who's whatever the actor's name you said. Oh, Mark Duplass. Yeah. Yeah. What's he in? He's in the league. And wow. he, he makes a lot of his own movies that he stars in. Okay. Have, yeah, he's been around. With him. Okay. Steve shows her this surveillance footage they have. It says it's only from like a few minutes ago. And from what they know of the compound, there's two males, two females, seven kids. And they spotted that, okay, there's actually another female there. Which indicates there's the third family. But I'm kind of yeah. like, why can't one of the men just have more than one wife? So they say something about... Uh, how if they're strict Mormons or not strict Mormons, strict Muslims, mm-hmm. they, they would only be how, whatever the family structure would be. And I didn't, I don't know too much about that. So I'm going to trust the movie on that. that <laughs> there's okay. something about the family structure that would only be that many females. So there's indication that there's a third family, yeah. but that doesn't prove the third family is Osama bin Laden or no, really any in, a specific person. And that's, that's the but, that's the trick. Yeah. So George was reporting to the higher ups, based on uh-huh. tell him that. So they talk again about how there would be a high risk of of discovery of cameras, and basically go through all. Which I, yeah, this is a cool part. They go through all the different ways that they try to go get info on who's there. They mm-hmm. start a vaccination program to see if they can get blood work. Yeah, like I said, this is the movie I wanted to watch. Was just all these schemes. They, we're gonna try to get stuff through trash but they burn all their trash mm-hmm. uh, there's no yeah no dna no no blood that they can get no they don't make any phone calls out of there they even tried to you know get their their crap basically but it would be yes. too diluted mm-hmm. and so george makes the point that yeah this, so this unidentified third male does not leave the compound at all and this is not a mistake this is not weird habits this is professional tradecraft is what the point he makes yeah, they're actively hiding from something. But even so, the higher-ups want more proof. They won't yeah. act without proof. They said that they did a red team on it. Mm. And we'll explain in our spy fact for spy fiction what a red team is. The red team says that, that the behavior says could be belong to someone who could be of someone who doesn't belong to Al-Qaeda. But they said there's 40% a senior Al-Qaeda leader. But there's also a 35% chance it's a Saudi drug dealer. And like a 15% chance that it was like a reclusive billionaire. Yeah, but all of those things sound so far-fetched, I think. Don't you think? No, I don't think so. Well, <laughs> given the, if I'm only given the information that I'm presented in that moment and you let go of whatever else, I mean, that's what the red team found. So I, I, I want to believe that. Okay. We get George meeting in what well, looks like the White House, seems like. He disputes the drug dealer theory, says, all right, there's no internet there. There have been no drug dealers there. No, no drug deals happening, so that we can strike that. And if, if he's, he's retired, retired where's the swimming cool. pool? Well, but and also more to the point that it's like if you're some rich guy who was living in luxury, you think there'd be luxury? Yeah, and we really don't see that. Uh, but they say the president needs proof. Mm-hmm. George is talking with one of the senior advisors. That advisor, who have you seen Spy Game? No. Okay, well, this guy is, is like the main adversary to Robert Redford in Spy okay. Game. He looks super familiar. The voice, tone of voice sounds familiar, but 
I'm trying to remember what the actor's name is, but yeah, that's him. He's a little bit of an antagonist role here too. I yeah, guess. he does. He says, this isn't political. This is political. We'd be waiting until November where there's an election. Mm-hmm. And he said, this is all risk assessment about the risk. He you know, brings up the Iraq WMDs. He doesn't just bring them up. He's like, we simply don't trust the intelligence apparatus after they got Iraq so wrong. And admittedly, this is a pretty long time later. It's like, mm-hmm. what, eight years since the invasion of Iraq 2011? I think yeah, so. Yeah, you're right. You're right. But still, in the in the realm realm of intelligence gathering, eight years doesn't seem like a long time. He's like, okay, basically though, just give us options about how you might yeah. do it if we decide to do it. This is not us saying that we're going to do it, but if we were going to act, how would we do it? Right. So we cut to Area Fifty One. <laughs> Yes, the area of I was not expecting in this movie. So this part is like, it feels like the thing that would be in a fictional movie. Because you not only have Area 51, but you have our second big star, Chris Pratt, is introduced in this scene. Yeah. He's second built on IMDb right under uh, Jessica Chastain, I believe. So yes, they go to Area 51 and they open a warehouse. And immediately I think... I think of Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls. Like, is this where the Ark of the Covenant is? I don't, was it that kind of warehouse? I thought it was it more was. like a hangar. Well, it, yeah, but it's dark and it's opening and you just have that ray of light. It almost it very much feels like that scene in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. So, Oh, okay. Which was well, in a hangar. Yes. Well, this hangar has like experimental helicopters. Stealth copters, which are cool. Right. Well, this feels like something out of a fictional movie. It's like, oh, I got the prototype and it's... Well, actually, you know what it reminded me of? What's that? It reminded me of 13 Days when they're showing them the U2s. Okay. Actually, a lot of this movie reminded me of 13 Days, but we can get to that later. And so they say that these, are, these things are slower than a Black Hawk, and they've got some sort of noise suppression on the rotors. Mm-hmm. And Chris Pratt, who his character's name is Justin, he thinks this is going to be a mission to Libya, to Gaddafi. Hmm. But by a brief sim. Also, do you recognize who else was there? There was a guy who looked familiar, but I didn't know who he was. Hello, Owen. Joel Edgerton from episode two and three. Yeah, I'm not as into the prequels as you are, so I'm not going to recognize him on site. He's in a lot of other stuff. He was in um, the Jennifer, what's her name, spy movie, Red Sparrow. Okay. He's like, I mean, yeah, the name is certainly familiar. And he's facially familiar, but I couldn't quite put it together. Yeah. So Maya gives him the briefing. Chris Pratt is like Wedge Antilles, where he's like, yeah, okay. I, right, I got that too. <laughs> <laughs> I got that. Maybe it's because I was thinking Star Wars because of Joel Edgerton, but I also had like a, that's eh, a very Wedge Antilles thing to say. He's like, it's impossible even for a computer. <laughs> but I do and like it, yeah. how Maya shuts him down. She's like, I don't even want to use you guys. I wanted to just bomb it. Yeah. Apparently, Justin, Chris Pratt, was saying how, like, they did a mission in 07 where they thought it was Bin Laden and it wasn't, and they lost some guys there. So he, like, has a personal stake. He's like, he, I don't want to lose more men to this. Yeah, but that's also, like, kind of the the, the job. Yeah. Like, but I, I, mean, I don't want to be, like, insensitive to his concerns, but... I mean, it's, it's more... I think it's more of a, all right, you know, I don't want to be doing this if it's for nothing. Yeah, well, he's like, basically, don't be wrong. But... There's no such thing as certainty in this field. And then we get another meeting with director Panetta and John Barrowman. John Barrowman, <laughs> yeah. Apparently, he's there for like 45 seconds. So this movie's got to have like a director's cut or something with more of these various people. I don't know. There's a lot of people in here. I'm like, what are you doing here? <laughs> so in, in this scene, Panetta is basically like, is he there or is he not? He being Osama bin Laden. Mm-hmm. 
And the various people around the room say it's like 60% chance, 80% chance, which sounds pretty good. Yeah, and so you have one of the people, the person who gives that uh, the 60% analysis is Mike Morrell, who was, I think, what, assistant director of the CIA at that time. Okay. So he's the one who says that he was there when they brought up the Iraq WMDs, and he thought there was more of a chance for that than there is that Bin in this compound. Yeah, so that's not very encouraging. But then John Barrowman wants to ask Maya, and she says she's 100% certain. Yeah. Okay, 95% because I know absolute certainty freaks you guys out. <laughs> As it should. Mm-hmm. And But she really doesn't back up why. Well, she, she does and, and she doesn't. Neither does it really anyone else. They just give their sort of mm-hmm. numbers. Director Panetta and Captain Jack go in an elevator and says, what do you think of her? He's like, I think she's smart. He's like, we're all smart here. Yeah, I kind of wonder what the purpose of that was. I don't know, but more Captain Jack time. Yeah, exactly. So Panetta goes and talks to Maya. That's the only thing she's done at the CIA is hunt for bin Laden. She's been doing it for 12 years. She's recruited right out of high school, apparently, which I didn't know the agency still did that. Well, maybe they did in 2005 or whatever, when they Mm. needed people. Even earlier than that. Because she did for that 12 years, so like like 1999. Well, hang on. It takes place in 2011. But this is like 2010 era. And sometime between 2010 and 2011. That's a good point. Or maybe she's just that smart. Yeah. And then we get our next, and seemingly the last chapter break, Mm -hmm. The Canaries. So we're, this is May 1, 2011, so exactly a year, year after that Times Square attempted bombing. Yep. We're in Jalalabad, Afghanistan. Yes. Maya's there. Justin and the SEALs are playing horseshoes. So did you recognize some of these other SEALs? Was I supposed to? I didn't recognize them, but well, some of them I'm like, they look very familiar. And I was watching this on IMDb TV, which is through Amazon. So they have that thing where if you pause, it'll say mm-hmm. who's on screen. Right. So we have, couldn't spot him, but Mike Coulter, a.k.a. Luke Cage. Okay. One of the members. Nice. And then we got Frank Grillo, a.k.a. Crossbones from Winter Soldier. All right. And his, like, right-hand man from Winter Soldier is also there. Hmm. I'm like, Maybe they come as a team. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, A lot of these military movies, they they do that because, you know, a lot of men. It's like Black Hawk Down. There's a lot of famous actors. Yeah, but so I was just like, all right, so is there a hydro infiltration into SEAL mm-hmm. Team 6? Hmm, let's hope not. So yeah. th- this scene has some funny dialogue between the, the people, which is a real tonal shift from the rest of the movie, I kind of feel. Yeah, like Justin asks Patrick if he believes this whole thing, Osama bin Laden, and Patrick says, I believe in Maya's confidence. And then George calls up Maya and says, everything's a go tonight. So we basically missed... All of the decision-making process. As I said... an entirely different movie. (laughs) Well, okay, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it during Spy Fact versus Spy Fiction. But the the book that I read that is based on this, or that this may have been based on, reminded me a lot of 13 Days. And that's Uh, the movie I would have liked to have seen. All right. But we'll get there. Okay, so they all, all the soldiers get their gear, and they, like, are walking. Gearing up scene, I liked it. Visually, it reminded me of Michael Bay, except it didn't have, like, the music. It didn't have, like, the triumph music. They get in the South Choppers. They got a dog with them, which I was like, I did not expect that. Yeah, well. Kind of attack dog. mm -hmm. No, they use them to to smell people or things. It makes sense. I just didn't think about it. Do you remember when that ISIS guy got killed by the dog? No. Oh, that was like a story maybe a year or so ago that I think it was All Bad Daddy 
the leader, one of the leaders of ISIS, and a, a dog like went after him, and he like suicided himself oh, with a belt, and the dog got hurt but survived. Oh, and I, I got I got a medal. Of this, yeah, yeah. When so, is it's not the unusual. animated movie coming out? Mm, good question. The dog, of course. Right. No, I got it. So, <laughs> so in this whole part with the seals, I was like, am I supposed to be feeling tension? Because it's, it's slow. But I, as I said, we already know what's going to happen. I mean, it's not. But but like you also said, it's not about the what's going to happen. It's the how. Like, yes. You and me. And I'll talk about this later. There's a whole exhibit about this in the Spy Museum, so I'm very familiar with the details of all of it. But you're at, especially in 20, when this movie came out? It came out in 2012. Yeah, so 2012, not all the details were known to your general public. So, And I guess in another 20 years, people will have forgotten, so they'll mm-hmm. want to know. Yeah, the uh, names of the two helos that they have going are Prince 5-2 and Prince 5-1. And we have Justin listening to something on his like headphones and they're asked, what are you listening to? Tony Robbins, who's like a m- motivational speaker. Oh, really? I didn't know who Tony Robbins was. Yeah, this is I like love- that part in License to Kill where I need you to tell me who these people are. <laughs> I thought Tony Robbins was just like a singer. Mm-mm. No, he's a motivational speaker. So that's why he's like, Justin's like, I've got big plans after this. Right. Which is, if this were a fictional movie, it's like, I got big plans for after this. It's like, you might I'm as well sign die. his death warrant right now. Yeah. yeah. Patrick saying, all right, who here has been in a helo crash before? And like everyone raises their hands. Yeah, that was crazy. And do you think it was supposed to be foreshadowing? Maybe. Or maybe it's like if you've been in a helo crash, you're probably not going to be another one or something like that. I think it's foreshadowing because there's a helo crash later in the movie. But also, and I don't know if they knew this when they made the movie, but it's foreshadowing for real life. Like, did you hear about how obviously they don't know exactly how many or who, but a lot of people see a lot of SEALs involved in the Bin Laden raid were killed later in a helo crash. I did not know that. Oh, wow. Yes. I don't, I don't know all the details, so feel free to look it up. But I do remember hearing that. It was like a couple months after the raid. Okay, so by that point, well, it depends on movie making and when they film. They may or may not have known that already. Yes. But if they knew that, I think that that would have been interesting. Have you ever been in a helicopter? Uh, no, and I'm very happy about that. At least as far as I can recall. I, don't, yeah, I think I I've, would remember it if I was ever in I've one. I've been in one. It was a sightseeing helicopter, so it was a very different experience, but it was a doors off. Mm. And I'm terrified of heights. I'm like, I've been getting a lot better about it, but it was still a slightly terrifying experience, especially any time that the helicopter would bank. So, oh yeah, mm. hey, there's the ground. Well, I mean, it's, it was, it's on my bucket list, and now I crossed it off right in a helicopter. Good, good. I ask anyone, apparently helicopters fly via black magic. <laughs> I mean, I got a friend who, who was an aerospace engineer who like specialized in helicopters for a while. So I have a general understanding of all the different ways it works. Okay. All right. So back to the movie. So they arrive at the compound and one of the helicopters crashes when it's hovering over the building. So that's Prince 5-1. First of all, it lands. And it lets the seals out, then it goes back up. Oh, I thought it was a different helicopter that no, was. No, because we see the later, the other one, Prince Five Two, land later on. So I, I also thought that too, but but apparently it's okay. the same helicopter. And so apparently there's too much updraft that it's creating because it's hovering too low. Mm-hmm. It starts losing power, and then it goes down. It's not a Hollywood crash, so it doesn't like explode. But, it, <laughs> but also probably because it was you know so low to the ground already. So even though it crashed and is incapable of operating after that, there's not enough force that's going to be like big Hollywood explosion. Right. So this part I thought was interesting, because speaking of it not being Hollywood, mm-hmm. 
in Hollywood when they have a plan and the plan goes wrong is like a tense moment and there's like tension music. Yeah. But we didn't have tension music here. We, we didn't did really have, have any music really. Yeah, we didn't have much. Which I think was supposed to be like, oh, it's it's so real. But we did have the scene of everyone back at at the home base being like, oh no. Again, this reminded me of Star Wars too. <laughs> but they also that like over the comms they say you know mission's still a go so they keep moving as they're entering the compound and then this is where we get prince 5-2 landing with echo team yeah i don't know how detailed your notes about the raid were i just have kind of various moments throughout a few moments so they like they're about to you know there's a part where they're about to enter a room or enter breach a door using c4 but there mm-hmm. are shots fired through the door yes. and then so they fire back and a woman you know leaves the room and says they killed him and I'm pretty sure this was the courier. Maybe. I know that the courier died, but I don't remember. I couldn't figure out which was who. Yeah. Echo team is breaching a different entrance, but it's a failed breach, so they go over their main gate. Mm -hmm. But the door is unlocked, and so they enter in, and they shoot a man and woman. And what I've noticed here, and it's, I think it's supposed to be unsettling, is that, you know, Mm -hmm. once they shoot them, shot them, and they're down, they shoot them again to make sure they're dead. Yes. I mean, that's not it's, abnormal it's not abnormal but it's, it is unsettling yeah especially because it's so quiet and also something i noticed that i didn't remember from before is mm-hmm. their goggles yeah. have like the four in video games or whatever the, the night vision goggles have two eyepieces yeah well these have like four and it yeah. makes them look like aliens so it sort of dehumanizes them yeah it's like makes them really freaky looking and I think that's also just so they don't suffer from tunnel vision, so that you're not just looking in one direction, but yeah, as a right. function, functionality, but yes, as a filmmaking device, I can see that. Mm-hmm. So at one point, Justin meets up with a couple of other SEALs, and he like starts joking with them a little bit. Oh, yeah. It's when they can't, they find a door that they can't breach. And so mm-hmm. they go meet up with the other team to go to that other entry point. Yeah. They also and compare yeah. body counts. Yeah. But they're saying what happened. It's not like, you know, in Lord of the Rings where you have Gimli and Legolas oh, you're right. contest. It's no, no, it wasn't like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So meanwhile, outside, locals are trying to, like, gather, which yeah. is scary because it reminds me of Black Hawk Down. I know we haven't covered it yet, but it's a similar kind of idea. And so we have Hakeem, Megaphone, trying to get them saying different things to try to get them back up. Did they, did they have subtitles for what he was saying or was it just unsubtitled like a lot of the other? It was unsubtitled, yeah. Okay. And then, meanwhile, back inside, the SEALs start doing a thing where they, like, call a person's name. Yeah. Which was, like, ridiculous. I wasn't sure what to think about that. It was unsettling to watch. Yes. A lot of this is, and I think is meant to be unsettling. Mm -hmm. So they they kill a guy named Khalid. Yeah. In that way. And then his brother. Or yes. some... And they find like an office full of computers and files, mm-hmm. which seems like to indicate, for... yeah, well, the jackpot, it seems to indicate that it is in fact a terrorist compound, because uh-huh. if you aren't up on the news, you still don't know if it is. Right. Yeah. Osama bin Laden yet. And so they go into the last room, kill the guy who's in there, and they say it's possible jackpot. There's women there screaming. Also, the whole time this is happening, every pretty much every time that they're shoot someone there's like some children around them too and they're trying to get them to calm the children down right say that's possibly osama bin laden so they question the women who are there they say that it's someone else yep and they of course to- they would <laughs> and so they just instead take photos and send them back to the base and so you get a like brief shot of maya on comms and also looking at the photos and she's looking very serious mm-hmm. and she, you hear them say the target's secure and 
they commence SSE, and so they grab basically every book, every CD, every hard drive that they can. Yep. And then we go back to the base, and we hear that the Pakistani Air Force is responding, and they've got their four-minute intercept. So that's pretty good response time. Maybe, but it feels like they've been there for a long time, the SEALs. True. Actually, it's true, yeah. That's, that's a good point. I didn't think of it that way, but I thought of, all right, never mind. It isn't a good response time, but it's at least a quick time from when we find out to... Right. Well, you got to think if the helicopters weren't detected, then someone needs to see that there's something going on and then make a call the local police yeah. and then please call the Capitol and all the bureaucracy happens. I was just so thinking in terms of like how fast the planes could get there. That seemed like a fast response time. Mm-hmm. So they tell Chris Pratt, if you're not in the Halo, Halo in the next four minutes or something, we're leaving you behind, which yeah. seems like an empty threat, frankly. Yes and no. Because I mean, yeah, if they get caught... It's not good for them. If they get caught either way, it's yeah. it's really bad. But he's then, like, I need ten minutes because this this is a ja- like a treasure trove of info. But but yeah. it's not going to do them any good if they get caught before they can take it out. Yeah. So meanwhile, some other seals are blowing up the crashed helicopter. Yeah, and also they need a body bag. Yes. And so we have Hakim going in, and seemingly Hakim's the only member of the team who is Middle Eastern or or Arabic. Well, the only one that we've seen. Yeah, we can see. Because also, again, yeah, like you said, they got their gear on, so it's hard to tell. But mm-hmm. there's a scene of him where he's going, bringing the body bag and goes past all the bodies and all yeah. the children. I was like, okay, what are we supposed to be thinking here? Did you get any from it? It's, it's a good question. I think it was more like, I don't know, it was just an unpleasant situation all the way around. Okay. I was wondering if it was trying to say something about maybe potentially like any, you know, people of Middle Eastern or Arabic descent and how they feel about this, and just seeing all the dead bodies and the children. And it's like a little bit of conflicting emotions. Yeah. Hmm. It's an interesting thought. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. So they get out, yeah, so everyone's out of the compound, they get, they have one minute, or one mic, as they say, in their speech, (laughs) to get rid of the downed helo, so they set up a bunch of charges. There's another, like, moment of tension when a Navy still slips and falls onto the helo. I think that was Frank Grillo. Okay. Yeah. Again, it's sort of like a fake out because you think something's going to go drastically wrong, but then it doesn't. He's fine. And well, and, and there's also there's another scene of tension because there's another helicopter that I think I assume was the backup chopper to come and get them because you know obviously they wouldn't all fit on the one kilo. No. Yes. Oh yeah. So they, like they tell it to back up because they are blowing the downed helo and yeah. So you're worried that they might accidentally take out the other helicopter. For but a he doesn't. So it explodes. <laughs> they return to base. Yep. Unload everything. They go through all the stuff that they acquired, all the TV, the books, CDs. Mm-hmm. And they sort it all out. They got their sharpies going, which is kind of funny. <laughs> I'm glad that their intelligence gathering is as thorough as they're not just there to you know, you know go in and shoot people. They recognize the importance of the intelligence. Yes. And also that they are very organized when they get it back to base that they all right, this was found in this spot and all that sort of stuff. So like mm-hmm. I was appreciative of that. And as this is going on, Maya is there and she starts walking towards the body, very like a very slow-mo shot. Yeah, she's joined by Admiral McRaven. Yeah on the subtitles, and I know this from the book, Admiral McRaven was either the leader of SEAL Team 6 or the leader of Navy SEALs in general. Mm-hmm. I think he was the leader of SEALs in general, but don't quote me on that. Well, I mean, he, he was an admiral, so probably. Uh, but yeah, so she opens the bag and sees the face, 
gives Admiral McRaven the visual confirmation, and he's presumably mm. on the phone to Obama, maybe? Yes, I think and so. After all this, Maya gets on the plane. Do you recognize the pilot? This is another, like, obscure character from the MCU. No, actually, he's in a bunch of other stuff. His name is Mark Valley. He was, you know, when uh, they had Oh, Mark Valley, of course. He's the human target. No, yeah, I didn't he recognize did. him. human no. target, yeah. That's him. <laughs> and he was uh, Agent Dunham's husband slash fiance in the premiere episode of Fringe. Yeah, he says to them, you know, you must be pretty important because you're the only one who's on this plane. As I was only told the name Maya. Mm. Is that you? That's her. Yeah. He asks, where do you want to go? I was like, she has a choice? Well, I don't think it's not like Burn Notice where you can go anywhere. It's like, I guess, do you want to go to your house or do you want to go to D.C.? I don't know. I just, it it's seems like limited options to me. Do you think it's like a metaphor? Maybe. maybe movies it's... love doing that stuff. <laughs> Maybe so. And you know, as she's sitting down, I think all of it just sort of hits her at once. She starts tearing up. Presumably tears of relief. Presumably, yes. Or just just emotion, just you know, after all of everything has happened, it's all over. And thinking about all the people who died probably to get her to this to this point. Yeah. I'd be thinking about them. And with that, our movie ends. Yeah, another sudden kind of ending. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I guess was, it's long enough. I was kind of expecting it. I like watched a bit of the credits to just see if there was going to be any, because, you know, based on a true stories, we'll have your what really happened and that sort of stuff and who was involved and photos, that sort of stuff. But this had none of that. Yeah, a little bit of aftermath, but there isn't a lot of aftermath. There was just more history. Yeah. All right. Alrighty. So ready for uh, Spy Fact versus Spy Fiction? Yeah, let's get into it. Just two terms that we used, but we didn't really explain. Uh, yeah, why don't you start with that? When the SEALs go in, after they killed Bin Laden, they say, we need to do a thorough SSE. What that stands for is Sensitive Site Exploitation. And mm -hmm. it's basically collecting information, material, and persons from designated locations and analyzing them to answer information requirements, facilitate subsequent operations, or support criminal prosecution. So it's basically evidence gathering. Yeah, that's like the kind of police thing. But I guess military can do it too. Yeah. So the other term that we used, but it really didn't explain, is red teaming. Mm -hmm. And this is something that's used not just in the CIA, but private business as well. And this basically, this is you get a team who will try to poke holes in your theories, or if you if, if you have red team hackers, so they will hack into a business to see, you know, what's your mm -hmm. vulnerabilities. And so you have that scenario, and you red team it, so you try to poke any hole you can throughout the, the analysis. And so actually, at the Spy Museum, there is a great exhibit on red teaming. You have two people, and one's you know blue team, one's red team, and you sort of go through that exercise. Oh, I don't think I've done that at the Spy Museum. Yeah, it's in there. That's cool. That one of the great things about the new version of the Spy Museum is they have a whole section on analysis, and so that's one of the parts about analysis. Nice. Yeah, but also the Spy Museum, they do have a really great sort of exhibit on the hunt for bin laden and you know going into that raid and they even go through actually mike morrell who i mentioned earlier who is the one who gave that estimation of you know 60 percent. Mm -hmm. he's yep. the one who intros it and so that's what i was like when i heard his thing about how he was more confident about the wmds in iraq than about this i was like mm -hmm. oh that's that's mike morrell but mm -hmm. that exhibit exercise you had to go through all right the various things like they that they talked about in that red teaming part where you said yeah all right is this a senior Al-Qaeda leader? Is this a drug dealer? Is this a reclusive billionaire? Oh, yeah, then I have done. The analysis of, all right. And then you, everyone around that table goes through the exercise. All right, do you think yes? Do you think no? That's how I knew that there was going to be a helo that crashed. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. All right, but enough plugs for the Spy Museum. Let's get into your spy fact for spy fiction. Okay, so continuing from last week, our source is Manhunt, the 10-year search for bin Laden from 9-11 to Abbottabad by Peter L. Bergen. 
So their big break came in June 2010 when they Kuwaiti started communicating on a cell phone, just like in the movie, tracked it. And then one official made the point that the compound is so expensive. It's probably worth several hundred thousand dollars, including the land that it sits on. So who else would Al-Qaeda spend that much money on if not Osama bin Laden? The Michael Morell stuff about Iraq WMD is true. Around the 10th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks, bin Laden wrote messages to Al-Qaeda members encouraging them to keep fighting. According to files recovered at his compound, he schemed about killing President Obama and General Petraeus, but said that killing Vice President Joe Biden would be, quote, a waste of time because he was not a sufficiently important target. Oh. I thought that was kind of funny. Mm-hmm. So meanwhile, back at HQ, bin Laden hunters came up with 38 ideas to get bin Laden, including mm-hmm. a bomb, including Navy SEALs, but mm-hmm. others were ridiculous. Are these going to be like the plans to kill Castro that they had? They're even worse than that. I oh, think. boy. All right. Well, let's you be it. the judge. Here's a couple of examples. All right. One was you throw in foul-smelling stink bombs to, like, smoke them out. I've heard about this one, yeah. Okay, and then another one is you get on loudspeakers outside and you pretend to be the voice of Allah. Sorry, what? Yeah, the voice of God, and saying, you are commanded to come out into the street. Okay, who came up with these ideas? Come on. That sounds like something Bugs Bunny would do, am I wrong? Yes. Considering that, you know, the ideas for Castro were like, I know there was an exploding cigar, which is a very Bugs Bunny. Oh, yeah. Big and time. like some sort of viral infected wetsuit, if I recall. <laughs> that one I have not heard. Uh, Lots of poisons of various types, right? But this, the, the voice of God thing, though, that's just, come on. Yeah, that's a new high or a new low, depending on your perspective. After they identified the compound... The book focusing on deciding what to do and when and if to do it. So I know I said this before. This was the movie I wanted to watch. It was like 13 days where it's all about deciding what to do and waiting the options. I thought that could have been really good. And in 20 years, they'll probably have that movie. But I think in the moment, especially a year later, Mm -hmm. this is the movie that would be more successful. Yeah. Well, there's a reason why we make movies about historical events much later. True, true. You know, the only president recently that I can recall having movies where the president is a character is George W. Bush. Yeah. Not counting that romantic comedy, Barry. Okay. <laughs> so they considered a B2 strike on the compound, but they might not be able to ID him because he oh, might get liquefied, right. not to mention yeah. all the collateral damage. Yeah. They considered a drone attack, but that might not be powerful enough to kill him. They also were concerned about the Pakistanis. So a CIA contractor named Raymond Davis had killed two Pakistanis earlier that year. He claimed that they were robbing him. The U.S. spent a lot of goodwill and capital with the Pakistanis to get him out and keep him from being executed. Mm. And not to mention, and this is something else I would have liked to have seen in the movie that was like 13 days, is that the risk of him fleeing is like extreme. If there's like the slightest hint that they're on to him, he's out and you're never going to be able to find him again. Right. Right. So that's scary. When deciding, President Obama asked everyone in the Situation Room, what do you think? Mm-hmm. And so many people prefaced their comments by saying, Mr. President, this is a very hard call. Like those exact <laughs> words that people started laughing. Which I really? Was, which I thought was pretty funny, yeah. That's because everyone kept saying that. Yes. Okay. 
You know, it's like something out of uh, Doctor Strangelove. That that isn't one of the other parts of that exhibit, the Spy Museum. It does like everyone in the Situation Room. It shows like whatever their percentages were, which I thought was, mm -hmm. but I don't remember what everyone's like confidence levels was. So if you're about to tell me, please go ahead. The confidence levels were about what they said in the movie, where okay. it's around eighty percent, but some were much lower. Yeah. Joe Biden said, "Don't do it." Interesting. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton said, "Do do it." Right. So out. After President Obama made the decision, the SEALs traveled to their target. And while they were going, the Obamas attended the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Really? Yes. Where wow. President Obama made fun of a certain billionaire named Donald Trump over the whole birther situation. Is this one the one where he had either Key or Peel appear as well? I believe so, though I don't think that was in the movie. No. So the Kuwaiti was killed in the raid, as was his brother. His wife was wounded. According to the book, bin Laden was unarmed when he was killed, but he did have two guns, like, within arm's reach. Uh, the SEALs did a lot of preparation. This wasn't in the movie, but they, like, rehearsed attacking the compound over and over and over again. Yeah. And they had everything prepared, except the one thing they forgot to bring was a tape measure to see if uh -huh. bin Laden was six foot four. Oh. Or to see if the guy they killed was six foot four. Yeah, that's how tall Bin Laden was? Apparently, yes. Wow. So without a tape measure, they found a seal who was about that height lie down next to the corpse and I see if they were about the same height. I remember that, yeah. <laughs> I did not know that. President Obama later presented Admiral McRaven, who we talked about, with a tape measure mounted on a plaque. <laughs> that's pretty good. And that is it for Spy Fact versus Fiction. For Zero Dark Thirty. All right. Shall we get into our quotes for this half of the movie? Yes. Would you like to go first? Because I have sure. a few options. My favorite quote was, the president is a thoughtful, analytical guy. He needs proof. Okay. I had a couple of quotes that I liked. I yeah. liked, how do you evaluate the risk of not doing something? That was, I think, from like the same conversation. I liked that, yeah. Mm -hmm. I liked, I'm the motherfucker who found this place. <laughs> yeah. But my personal favorite one was said by Maya to Chris Pratt. She says... Bin Laden is there, and you're going to kill him for me. Yeah, she's on her one-woman warpath. It is personal. Zero Dark 32, this time it's personal. <laughs> that was at 30 and then dash 2, or 32? Zero Dark 32, like I said. <laughs> uh, or this time it's more personal? <laughs> now it is time for our ratings on a scale of 1 to 10 martinis. 1 being a terrible spy movie and 10 being the best spy movie, how would you rate Zero Dark Thirty? All right, you want to go first? I remember watching it when it came out at the time, and I thought it was solid. Mm -hmm. And it is solid, but I feel like it could have been even better in a okay, lot of right. ways. Okay. I don't feel like we got to know the characters that well, mm. and I feel like there's a bit of a missed opportunity. Like I said, I would have liked to have seen it as more the deciding about to go. That right. feels really good to me. The pacing and structure was a little bit strange. It ends up just sort of being okay in my mind. All I right. wouldn't really go back to watch it again unless we were covering it for something like this. So I will give it a 5 out of 10. Wow. Alright. Alright, so I also watched this when it came out of theaters, although actually I think I fell asleep in like the last you know, 20 mm -hmm. minutes of, or, of the movie, but it may just have been because it was a long day and I saw it at like 9 or 10 p.m. Mm -hmm. But I will say that I enjoyed it more this time than watching it. I thought last time I watched it, I just thought it was so depressing. And I think it's also because of the closeness of mm -hmm. the events to whereas now you can watch it with, you know, a bit more reflection and 
because you're not so close to when when those events happen. Like you said, it's just kind of unprecedented for how close to the actual events this came out. Hmm. But yeah, so I enjoyed it more. I mean, it's it's still a very dark and kind of depressing movie. But I thought it was well well done, and it showed so the real intelligence work that Maya does, you know, tracking down all these leads and how you know how she find figure fight figures out stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it a seven out of ten. I mean, yeah, like you said, I think it would have been interesting to see that other side of it. But maybe, but that, I feel like that's an entirely different movie than what we're given here. Okay. As to getting to know the characters, I think that's part of the point of Maya is that she's so focused on this there that she has, and even if she has nothing else in her life at all. Yeah, that's not inaccurate. It's just a bit of a cliche. Maybe, but that's the character that we're given here. And the, although I, I'm trying to remember, did we talk about this last week of whether, and I know she's not a, there's no actual Maya, but I think she's based on a few different people who were involved with it. I think so. Yes. Yeah. yeah so I'm going to give it a seven because I thought, you know, I thought it was a solid movie like you because of just the nature of the film. I probably, I probably wouldn't go back to watch it again just in my spare time, but mm-hmm. I think it's worth at least the watch. It's a story people want to know about because it was part of history and it was sort of a bookend in in some ways to the war on terrorism versus Al-Qaeda, at least. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. You can find us on social media at the SpyFi Guys under Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Until next time, I'm Zach. And I'm Christian. And we are the SpyFi Guys signing off. Thank you for listening to The Spy-Fi Guys. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. The theme song from this podcast is Mistake the Getaway by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Films, books, and television shows reviewed by our podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This is a personal podcast. Any views, statements, or opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the participants. They do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the participants may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual. You can find our podcast on social media at The Spy Fi Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.